We hesitate to use the word dispensationalism because it's grown to include a lot of things that we don't agree with. But a dispensational reading of Scripture is important. Stay tuned while we explain some of this. Thank you for being with us again today on All Things Apostolic. What a great time we're having. And we are looking at the subject this week of dispensations. We look at it uh, off and on now for the 30, 40 days. I don't know how long, uh, because it's an important subject. Um, and uh, it is a theological framework whereby we can get a we can get our arms around the big picture that Scripture has for us. It is an important framework. It is a framework which has been pushed and pulled into different shapes and forms um, until it has enough stuff that's attached to it that is uh, not scriptural, uh, that it has created attacks upon the concept, upon the schema itself of dispensations. So our contention is, is that we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we do want to get all appendages to the thing that are not apostolic, that are not apostolic Pentecostal doctrine. We want to get that all cut away. And um, so this is one of the reasons why we've hesitated to use the term dispensationalism, because dispensationalism uh, while originally it was probably used just to describe the study of dispensations, it is actually a, morphed into something bigger than that and contains stuff that does not fit apostolic Pentecostal doctrine and that actually violates the whole concept of dispensations. If you wonder what I'm talking about on that, then you need to listen to yesterday's um, All Things Apostolic because we, we discussed this very thing in considerable depth uh, that if you're going to believe anything, it has to match up with apostolic Pentecostal doctrine. And why do I say apostolic Pentecostal doctrine? Well, because the first church was apostolic and the first church was Pentecostal. And so we, we use the term Pentecostal because there was the Feast of Pentecost. And it was during that Jewish feast when thousands of people had come together to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. It was during that feast on the day of Pentecost uh, that the Holy Ghost fell. And that wasn't an accident. It was showing that this is a fulfillment of numerous Old Testament prophecies. So that's why we say it needs to be apostolic and it needs to be Pentecostal. And so when we talk about dispensations, we usually use a phrase like, we believe in a dispensational reading of Scripture. Now, we've already talked a lot about this. So if you have things that are popping up and you say, yeah, but I don't believe in this, you need to go back in all things apostolic. And between myself and Pastor Jeremy Wilbanks and Pastor Miles Young, and there will be others, um, we have already covered much of that. Right now, we're just covering those things about dispensationalism that is birthed in and emerges out of evangelicalism. 
and every good contribution that's been made in the kingdom of God, no matter who it's by, we appreciate. However, evangelicalism, in our perspective, has went a certain direction towards the full truth of the gospel and then stopped short of it. If you don't believe it stopped short of it, then how do you explain that you did not go all the way back to the day of Pentecost when the birthday of the church occurred and that Peter, the first man, the only man to ever be given specifically and personally the keys to the kingdom by no less than Jesus Christ himself. He is the man that on that day, he first received the baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. He then proceeded to preach, and he preached to the people. You can see this in Acts 2, 14 through 39. And he preached a sermon to them, which that, that those verses are a synopsis of that sermon. I'm sure it was fleshed out much bigger than that. And he concluded by the people saying, men and brethren, what shall we do? Their hearts were pricked by the preaching of the apostle Peter. They opened themselves to believe the message that he preached. And so I would ask, are you opening yourself to accept the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? Now, whoever you're following, wherever you get your doctrine, did Jesus give to them specifically the keys to the kingdom? like he did to the Apostle Peter. So you see there's some pretty important elements that we're talking about here that can't be left out. And then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, uh, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words, did he exhort them and say, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So we know all of these things had to do with salvation because with those words, he was saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So anyway, anything um, in, in this case, the study of dispensations, it has to hit within that framework. And I think that's a healthy, uh, a healthy way to do this. So we've been looking at the things, number one, that's been picked up in dispensations, uh, dispensational teaching through the years out of the evangelical movement and imported by people or just kind of overlooked by people in the apostolic Pentecostal movement. Um, or we've also looked at things that are considered to be reasons why a dispensational reading of Scripture would not be correct. And we've, we've talked about all those already uh, in considerable detail. And uh, I would invite you to look at that, that this is an important subject. We've actually went back and, and actually gave a little review here of the shifts through Scripture of how God advanced his progressive revelation of, of the doctrine of truth and salvation until, until finally you come to the outpouring of the Spirit, which is Jesus Christ's Spirit living within us. And so there is this progression that can, seen through, can be seen uh, throughout Scripture. Not only did we do that, we also went back and talked about other things that are false perceptions about this subject. Uh, for example, that the teaching of dispensation, the reading of the Bible actually started in the 1800s with John Darby. 
which is, of course, not even close to the truth. But you have to go back another couple of days here, and and uh, we covered that in considerable depth also. Uh, that's a lesson that you won't hear taught very many places because people, very few people have had access to the research information that is given in that lesson concerning uh, how far back dispensational reading of Scripture actually went and dispensational teaching, how far it, it goes all the way back. And so, um, so today we're going to look at another uh, problem with dispensationalism that does not translate into an apostolic Pentecostal reading, dispensational reading of Scripture. And that is the um, accusation that dispensationalism cuts up Scripture uh, with claims that some portions of Scripture have application to Israel only and have no application to the church today. And so uh, this is true that there, that dispensationalism, and I would say again, that evangelical dispensationalism actually does this. It teaches that there are some portions of the Bible uh, that were not meant, for example, for the church. And an example of this is found um in, for example, the Beatitudes, and if you read uh, uh, Schofield's old Bible and you look at it closely, you will see here that there is a teaching um, that the Beatitudes were not meant for the church. They were meant for uh, Israel in the millennium. And so you can, you can overread something in Scripture. Of course the Beatitudes are meant for the church. In fact, there's a whole corpus of teaching on the Beatitudes that is obviously powerfully for any time or any place um, or any people and uh, some important principles that those principles and the teaching of those principles transcends some kind of dispensational limitation. They are transcendent truths that are articulated and uh, uh, which will create beautiful attitudes, be attitudes. Uh, but they're they're critical to life. They're much they're much more than just you know a pretty flower to look at. And so when we look at this, how do we know what? Where do people get this idea that some things only apply to the church and some things only apply to Israel? Well, uh, first of all, I would say you don't you don't have that in an apostolic Pentecostal vision of it because. Uh, that's what perhaps we would call a classical evangelical dispensationalism uh, uh, teaches these things. And uh, uh, the truth is, is that there are scriptures which we've already talked about this too. And Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy Wilbanks talked about this, that there's a theological stack um, uh, of an, an interpretive stack, how scripture is given. And so scripture always has a primary meaning. It has a primary meaning. It has what we call a grammatical historical meaning. It means what it says, and it means as it is applied in its original use to the people to whom it is spoken. And so this is the narrowest view of scripture and the 
first view that you have of a scripture. Now, there's other ways that scriptures can be used other than the original, but it can never be used otherwise in any way that takes away from or subtracts from its narrower application. In other words, the original application of a scripture that's given in a particular locale at a particular time to a particular people for a particular reason, never goes away by taking that scripture and extrapolating and blowing it up into some general um, definition or theological interpretation. You never leave the original, historical, grammatical, literal meaning of that scripture. So, with that said, there are scriptures in the Old Testament that specifically have a narrow uh, application and a uh, a first level literal application to Israel, and those are promises that God has made to Israel. There are land promises, there are promises of the coming of the Spirit, there are numerous promises and scriptures like this. So this is where people get the idea that. Um, uh, that that dispensations says, well, this scripture's for this person and this scripture's not for that person. Well, maybe there is an evangelical way of, of, of doing that, but that's not apostolic Pentecostal. We believe that there are scriptures that do have specific applications, some to the church and some to Israel, both. They have a literal meaning for that identified time, place, people. However, I would say every scripture, and this would be a good discussion, I would say every scripture has broader applications that can be extrapolated out of that scripture that are, legit, uh, that are legitimate and that, uh, and that it's not a misapplication of scripture to use those. Let me give you an example. Isaiah 40 and 31. This is a this is a well-known scripture. It's a powerful and beautiful piece of, of literature. It says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So there's actually been songs written about that scripture because it's so so potent and so powerful. But that scripture was not just given for the sake of making songs out of it or for the church to utilize it uh, for whatever need it may have. There is a first and narrow application of that scripture that has never gone away. And if you read the whole context, it is a scripture that is addressed to Israel in the last days when they will be empowered by God in the day of battle, God will anoint them and give them wings like eagles and give them strength and supernatural endurance and sustained strength to be able to, to win battles. Okay? So that's there. That doesn't go away. However, you and I know that it's pretty obvious, at least it is to me, that that scripture 
also has a broader meaning. So why do scriptures have a broader meaning? Well, the reason is, is because they contain particular principles and they contain universal truths that transcend the particular setting that that scripture is given in. So when you, when you think of God and his eternality, one of the characteristics of God is that he answers prayer. And so if you pray and it has not happened yet, they that wait upon the Lord, they have, that means they have trust in God. And you can put together sermon after sermon just off of this scripture. And that if we wait, there will come a point, the correct point, the point that the wisdom of God knows about, in which God will renew their strength. And they will mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So there's not one thing that is a transgression of Scripture that is wrong with a preacher taking that verse of Scripture and using it in a broader application than its, than its original uh, uh, form that it came in, or original time that it came in. And use it to say that God will empower any of his people in this manner who are walking in his way and fighting in his army. And so there is this application of this scripture beyond. So that it, it should never be said that any scripture does not belong to the people of God or have potency in any generation. That is not true. Equally, it is true that those scriptures have an original application that when you use it on a universal scale, it does not dissolve the local scale on which it was originally given. And so when you look at this, this kind of explains how some dispensationalism teachers decided that because the Beatitudes applied to uh, Israel and to the, the kingdom of heaven, which they would make a distinction in the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, which is another whole subject, and sometimes there may be some little distinction, but overall they are interchangeable, and you can find places where they're interchangeable. And so these are other things about dispensationalism that kind of pushes stuff over beyond where Scripture puts it. And then it makes it look like that the whole dispensational reading of Scripture is something to be avoided, which is not true at all. It's a very potent and deeply organic, I don't know anything more deeply organic, I've said this before, than, a, than, the, than the concept of dispensations. It's found in Scripture everywhere. It's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the Gospels. It's found in the Epistles. And everywhere you look, you see uh, God's house and, and house rules, and that this is God's concept of government, is that it is a house and that there's a father that's the head of that house. This is the concept that's organic to the word uh, oikonomia, um, house rules or house administration, from which we get dispensation. God bless you. We will continue this down the line.